She's going to get real bored if she doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and if anybody, if this is your first time, we want to say welcome. We're thankful that you are here. I know a lot of times, like if you're not used to church, it can be really hard to be down at main service and then come down here and you feel like you're at church all day long. And I'm, pr- I'm praying that, um, that this time would be profitable and that it would be a joy for you to be with us uh, in Kaya this morning. We are in Romans chapter 12. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Uh, and we are going to be talking about what it means to be a living sacrifice. Um, so this is going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> talking about sacrifice, right? Uh, you know, this is a, use, a word that we use a lot in uh, our culture, uh, especially like when it, when it has to do with like us wanting to get what we want. You know what I mean? We use the word sacrifice a lot. What are you willing to sacrifice? But often, oftentimes we're talking about sacrifice in terms of what can it achieve us, right? What can we get in return? What can we sacrifice? Really what we're saying is what are we willing to wager in order to get profit back? And, um, and when we're talking about being a living sacrifice, um, we're talking about something that costs us a little bit more than, oh, I don't know, I don't, like we used to talk a lot about sacrifice when I played basketball in high school. This is two weeks in a row I'm talking about basketball. basketball Uh, But we used to talk about sacrifice a lot. And uh, and being at practice, being there on time, uh, what are you willing to give up in terms of your time and ability? Um, I'm sure you hear that all the time, right? Sacrifice all the time, braiding at wrestling and things like that. We talk about it in these very superficial ways. We're going to talk about sacrifice uh, today. Let's pray real quick and then get into the Word. Is everybody ready this morning? Okay. I'm, I'm very ready. I'm very excited about today. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything I need to say. Maybe I'm just like forgetting to say that I love you. Yeah. I love you guys. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the worship this morning and how it prepared my heart. I'm so grateful for the fact that you are a God that did everything for us. And that um, anything that we sacrifice, Lord, is only just reasonable. That, that anything that we give up uh, is just just. <laughs> it's the just thing for us to lay our lives down in pursuit of you. Um, you are so good to us. Your blessing toward us goes beyond even our imagination. We can't fathom the blessing that awaits us. We can't fathom the blessing that we have now. Um, Lord, we need you. We need the guiding uh, of your Holy Spirit. We need to be driven uh, by your word. Uh, we need to be submitted wholly to your will. And Lord, where we fail at this, where we, where we struggle, Lord, would you help us this morning through the conviction of your Holy Spirit that we might realign our lives, that our pursuits might be right, that our obedience might be uh, at the forefront of everything that we do. Help us this morning understand what being a living sacrifice truly is. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, let's, go ahead, let's go ahead and read, shall we? Okay, verse 1 of chapter 12. Now you can see, uh, briefly, you, if you don't mind going back, this is where we've come, okay? Uh, we've, we've been through chapters 1 through 8, which have talked about the individual salvation uh, of, of the believer and what comes with salvation okay we've talked about that we've talked about uh, about 
the hope for Israel in the future in chapters 9 through 11. And now we're coming into to chapters 12 six, through 16, which are about practical Christian living. And I'm really looking forward to this stuff. This stuff preaches real good. <laughs> and, and Paul and, and the Holy Spirit make this, um, this portion of Scripture uh, exciting but also very challenging for us. So when we start in verse 1, the very first thing that we come in, uh, across is this, this phrase, I beseech you therefore. And for many of you who are new to Bible study, okay, this is important for you to hear, but whenever we stumble across this word, therefore, we have to ask the question, why is it, what is it there for? In other words, therefore begs a because. All right? It demands we look back at what we've already said, so that we can move forward. He says, I beseech you, therefore. And so everything that he's going to say moving forward is contingent on what he's already said. Okay? And in this case, Paul is pointing back to the first half of the letter and reminding us of both the doctrinal and dispensational content of his words. In the first eight chapters, we were taught the power of God's revelation to us. We were, we were taught about his justice. We were taught about his faith and forgiveness in light of our repentance. We were reminded of the power and the value of our own salvation. We were told of the blessing that it affords us. It affords us an intimacy and an access to Christ in heaven. It gives us peace and strength to know him. It gives us the ability to live holy. And more recently, as in our study, more recently we are in awe of his kingdom agenda. His faithfulness to the nation of Israel and the execution of his plan. And so the last thing that we, we read before we came into this chapter was Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Let's start there through, through verse 36, if you can flip back a page or whatever you need to do. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, um, that's, that, I think there's a typo there. For, for of him, and through him, and to him all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I've got a little typo on my notes there. Forgive me. But uh, what we've come through in this first half of Romans has been absolutely amazing in terms of understanding who God is. And we've talked about this before, but the letter to the Romans is really Paul uh, elaborating on what it means to be saved. Everything that we've read so far is just our joy. Not that it hasn't been challenging or difficult at times, but everything that we've read so far as a believer has just been exciting and awesome, and it reminds us of just how big and how beautiful our Lord Jesus Christ truly is. And because of all those things, we can say, therefore, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This idea of, of a living sacrifice is a paradox, isn't it? Okay, because what we understand about sacrifice is that sacrifice requires death. But on the other hand, it says living sacrifice. So there's a paradox at work here. And a lot of times we read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in a very abstract way, and it sounds very mystical. It's a very mystical idea, the idea of being a living sacrifice. It's like this magical thing that God does 
when we read it, it almost sounds like it's un unfathomable, and we don't really know what to do with it. Okay, but what I want to suppose to you today is that being a living sacrifice is exceptionally practical. It's a very easy uh, thing to understand. Now, it's a very hard thing to live, but it's very simple in terms of its concept. And we're going to work through this today. Okay, and, and so the idea of a living sacrifice is intended to be super practical, and, and let's talk about it first in two ways. First of all, it's reasonable. If you're taking notes, it's a reasonable thing. Alright? He says, he says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In light of the sacrifices of Christ and the goodness of his blessings, in light of the indwelling of his spirit, it's only reasonable that we would live in such a way that we would sacrifice our lives to God. It's only reasonable. It's reasonable in light of the fact that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, our body is literally a temple to God's Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? And because the Spirit lives in you, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And it's our privilege for him to live inside of us. Philippians 1.20 says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. It's only reasonable that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that his death and the things that he gave up would demand of us sacrifice in return. It's only reasonable. It only just makes sense that if we have the blessing of breathing every day as believers, every day we wake up in the morning and we get to take on a new day, the sun rises, and we get to see all the things that God uh, has done in this world, and we see them unfolding before us, it's only reasonable that we would live in light of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's only just reasonable. Now beyond that, it's also beneficial to us. It profits us. It's good for us to be a living sacrifice, to give our body, to present ourselves as belonging to God. It's beneficial. It's beneficial in that it produces holy living. It takes, listen to me, this is, this is what being a living sacrifice is. Presenting our bodies to God in this way, what it is. It, what it does is it takes our salvation and the fact that we're sealed by God and that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It takes it and it synthesizes it with our daily lifestyle. It makes what, the, the two things that can oftentimes be very, very separate from one another. The actuality of God living inside of us. And our daily lifestyle, it takes the two things and it makes them one. And it's beneficial and good for us to live a holy lifestyle. Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause also, uh, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is good to live daily in the knowledge of God. It's a blessing to live a life that God is involved in. It's a blessing. But not every Christian is living this way. Not every Christian is a living sacrifice. It is possible for a person to be saved from sin and yet still be ruled by their flesh. I mean, we know, we know this, don't we? I mean, we know this in terms of the example of people all around us, people that call themselves Christians and yet are filled, their lives are filled with hypocrisy. But we also, we ought to also know this in light of who we are. Because believer, it's not every day that you're a living sacrifice, and you know that. We ought, we ought not take this for granted. Not every day you're dying to live for Jesus Christ. It is something that has to be renewed, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, let's talk about three types of Christian lives. Let's talk about three types of Christian lives. And as far as I see, there are three types of believers that exist within the church. The, and, and the thing about each one of these types of believers, each one of these types of believers might assume that they are a living sacrifice. They might personally draw, they're in danger of drawing the conclusion that just because, blah, 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 they are a living sacrifice. Just because they look this way. Just because of the assumptions about themselves. They might think that they are a living sacrifice. Let's talk about the very first one. The very first one is a Christian of convenience. Okay? A convenient Christian. Now listen to me. You might be immediately assuming that this is not you. But let's, let's be very, very careful to analyze our lives and assess whether or not this label is true. Okay, there are Christians that, are, that live in a convenient way. This is a Christian who's ruled by their senses. They're ruled by their senses. The things that they can see, touch, feel, taste. A Christian can desire to follow Christ and even perform religious duties but still be easily swayed by the logic of their flesh. Does it make sense? This type of believer loves Christ. No one's taking that from them. They love Christ, and they value their salvation, and even value the church, but they're often controlled by their personal inclinations and their cultural bias. This type of Christian wagers with God in order to live the Christian life that they desire for themselves. This is a Joel Osteen culture making its way into biblical Christianity. This idea, that I, and, I, and you know that you do it. You know that you do this with God. At least you've done it in the past. This idea that, like, God, I'll do anything for you except. You, you draw lines in the sand and you tell the Lord, you dictate to the Lord, I, God, I will follow you with everything I got, except for when it comes to this thing that you know that I just have, you know, I just have a predisposition to not, I'm not into that. I, I don't do those things. Those things are offensive to me, Lord, and you know it. And, uh, and so there's the line and everything within this set, I'll do this, God, and I'll do it and I'll love it. It might sound like this. I could never be a missionary in the slums, because, because God, you know how I am about, about, my, about smell. 
Has any, who in here has been to India? Okay. For those of, yeah, for those, I've been to India with some of you. For those of you who've been in slums, maybe slums in other countries, and you've experienced that smell, I mean, it stays with you. I can, I can smell it on, in, on the plane on the way home. It just, it sits there in your nose a little bit for a while. And, you know, there's many of us who would, who, you know, this sounds really silly, because, you know, we're all very spiritual in this room. <laughs> it sounds really silly when I say it, but there's some of you who have things just like that. God, I, you know I could never be a missionary to this place because of whatever, whatever that line is. Some of you, it could be as superficial as just the way that it smells. You know, I'm, I'm just an extrasensory person, Lord, and, and I just couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that, and you know that. It might be even just like relational things, <clears throat> cultural things, food. I could never do that because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine eating that kind of food. It's amazing, isn't it? The things that we tell the Lord. You know, um, I had a conversation this week. Natalie and Kendall came over to the house, and we were sitting there talking. We were talking about the early days of Indian food. Alex, remember that? Remember Nancy? And um, we, we were talking about how there were some people early on that stopped coming to be a part of that work. You know, we had really bad HVAC back then, okay? And there were Sundays where it was cold like this outside, and um, the, the heater system would break. It would break. It just, it just wouldn't be working. And everybody would be wearing their coats. And, and there were Sundays, Deb, I don't remember, you, we could see our breath in the sanctuary. And um, there were people who left and stopped being a part of the work, okay, of planting a church in the city because of the, because of the HVAC, because of the inconvenience of that. I mean... The only thing I can think is that they were never of us, right? They weren't willing to sacrifice at that level. Then they were never of us, and they would have they would have left for some other reason along the way, whether it was HVAC or anything. I mean, there's a lot of people who came down with us, and they spent a month or two, and they just said, "No, it's too scary down there." I mean, you, we've all heard this, maybe even from our family members who, like, you guys travel into the city, you know, 15 minutes from your house into the urban core, and like suddenly. Crime exists here, but it doesn't exist in Raytown, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? I couldn't go to church in, in Midtown. I couldn't go there. It's, it's too scary down there. And we just eliminate. We just eliminate because of issues of convenience. We just eliminate the Holy Spirit outright. We forget how to sacrifice. I mean, even so much so, that we, that we're so ruled by our senses that we get entrapped by gossip and things like that so easily. Uh, one of the things that Natalie, when they were over, reminded me of is that it's like, a, a, it's like another Christian phenomenon to, to, uh, to gossip in prayer. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? Where you're like praying and you're gossiping at the same time. And uh, she, we were just talking about that. I had forgotten that that's like a thing. I think it's particularly true among women. Uh, sorry, if that's a stereotype, we don't like stereotypes, but, like, you know, you get going, you get going in prayer, you never know what you might say to the Lord, uh, but, you know, I think, but, like, these are all things that draw us in, and suddenly we're just, we're just, we go from a place where we're just, 
living our Christian life, but then suddenly we draw a line in the sand and some sort of thing gets us hung up. And we can't move beyond that. And we're unwilling to sacrifice. That's a Christian of convenience. And we all have things that we know that we've got to deal with. At times we are all Christians of convenience. The logic of the flesh demands comforts that the Spirit may not afford us. The Spirit might be saying one thing and your flesh might be saying another and the two things might not be jiving. And we have to, have, we have to be able to reckon those things. So key point number one, a living sacrifice is not controlled by fleshly tendencies or worldly preferences. There are people who quite literally will go to a church, know that it's where they're supposed to be, know that the Bible's being taught them, know that God has called them to that place, and continue church shopping because they don't like the worship. We know this. We know this is true. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. A living sacrifice is not controlled by fleshly tendencies. What are your tendencies that get you hung up? What are your worldly preferences? What are your cultural biases that keep you from diving in head first and saying yes to anything that God asks of you? A living sacrifice is not controlled by fleshly tendencies or worldly preferences. Next, the next kind of Christian is consecrated, is a consecrated Christian, which sounds on the, on the surface really good, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to be consecrated. I want to follow the Lord. But by consecrated, what I mean is a Christian who is ruled by intellect, emotions, and personal willpower. A Christian many times has the ability to create the illusion that they are a living sacrifice. The illusion of being a living sacrifice let me talk about what I mean by that. This first thing is knowledge. The idea of knowledge. When a Christian gains knowledge, a lot of times they think that they're better off spiritually than they really are just because they know more about God's Word. See, through the means of attaining knowledge, one can know the Bible and espouse its truth, but still not be ruled by God. See, knowledge is a noble pursuit. No one's, no one's robbing that of the consecrated Christian. No one's taking that away. Knowledge is a noble pursuit. Knowing God's word intimately in and out is a good thing. But if it's not activated by spiritual living, all it can ever do is just allude to sanctification. That's all it can ever do is just allude to the idea of being a sanctified and set apart believer. It looks like living sacrifice, but it falls short. The other thing is emotions. It is common for a Christian to make emotional decisions for Christ with no real sacrifice to see them through. Emotions might lead us oftentimes to false repentance. I mean, this is, like, this is true of people that I love more than, than like, like family members of mine who their whole life have based their Christianity on one emotional, impulsive decision to the next. To them, thriving in faith looks like waiting for that emotional impact, that one service, that one preaching message, that one worship set where God just calls them right back into that place and they say to the Lord, God, I will give up anything. And there's no follow-through. 
And again, once again, there's the illusion of following the Lord, but never actually laying down your life. Emotions might lead us to, to false repentance. They might lead us to false commitments. They might lead us to false sacrifices. Oh God, I'll give you anything. And you write a big fat check to missions and you put it in the offering plate. And that's how you feel good about yourself. But yeah, you're not willing to live day to day like a living sacrifice. Good for you. Good, good for you. You know, when we continue on in the study of 1 Samuel, we're going to at some point come to the, one of the verses that's the main theme of 1 Samuel. And that is to obey is better than sacrifice. And that there is no real sacrifice absence obedience. So good job that you got real emotional in that service. But again, emotion may allude to the pursuit of Christ but holds no longevity for those who are not truly spiritual. Again, emotions aren't bad. I mean, I've, I better believe that because, gosh, I'm a fairly emotional individual. Emotions themselves aren't bad. But you don't get to hide behind that. The last thing is personal will. Some people are consecrated in terms of their will, in terms of their discipline. It is also not impossible for a Christian to have discipline without being spiritual. A person may be very dutiful, timely in their appearance, right? Be at everything, always be on time, be ready to serve. A determined believer, a consecrated believer. But you can be diligent in your functions and still not live a holy life. You can, you can look very religious. You can be very consistent in your presentation of yourself and still not be holy. So our key point number two, a living sacrifice is not measured by intellect, emotional responsiveness, or willpower alone. A living sacrifice is not measured by intellect, emotional responsiveness, or willpower alone. There's a third type of Christian. This is the Christian that's controlled, a controlled Christian. This is the Christian that's controlled by the, the Holy Spirit. A Christian who's absolutely 100% yielded to what the Spirit demands of them. And this is the Christian, the Christian of living sacrifice. And the key to living this way begins with the surrender of our physical body. That's what this verse tells us. That we must present our bodies as though they do not belong to us. Because guess what? They don't. Now let's get real existential here for a second. Like, like if you think for a moment. Think for just a moment. Just how small you are. Just how small you are in light of this planet. In light of this solar system, in light of this galaxy. In light of this universe, in light of this dimension. You are very, very, very small. And yet there is a God that knows your name, 
knows every hair on your head, has counted every tear you've ever cried. And this is the God that you're going to tell no to? This is, this is the God that you're going to refuse to yield to? What else are you going to do but be a living sacrifice? What else are you going to do? To live as a spiritual person will involve growth in knowledge. It will sometimes move us into seasons of emotion. It will require personal discipline. But the difference here, the difference is that these things come as one, one's life is completely overhauled by God's word. So point number three, a living sacrifice offers to put their will to death in exchange for God's. Very, very simple. Very, very, very simple. A living sacrifice offers to put their will to death in exchange for God's. Becoming a living sacrifice requires we offer our bodies to God. But being transformed, a perpetual state of being a living sacrifice, requires transformation of our minds. And that's why we need verse 2. That's why we need verse 2. Verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and, and perfect will of God. See, the very first thing that this verse says is, and be not conformed to this world, because that's the other option, right? The other option is that we conform our lives to the world. The enemy of living sacrifice is conformity to worldly desires. That's the enemy of living sacrifice. And nothing will hinder the control of God quicker than the control of worldly devices, things that enter in our lives. Okay, materialism, entertainment, wealth, sex. The things that tempt us, the things that call us, the things that demand our focus and our attention. Nothing will hinder us from being a true living sacrifice like worldly things. See, here's the deal. God, God will not coerce you to live holy. He's already done everything he needs to do. He's already done everything he needs to do. Everything he's obligated to do, he's done. He did it at the cross. He's not going to coerce you to following him. He's not going to coax you into being a living sacrifice, into being holy. But the world, the world is not above that. The world will coerce you. You know, Satan and the world and the flesh, all these things that conspire against you, they're all external things, aren't they? Aren't they? Think about it, just for a moment. Like Satan, right? He's a physical entity. He and, the, he and his devils and his, his hosts move about the world. Okay? And then we've got the world system, the system that's put in place that's intended to cause us to fall and to stumble, to be tempted. And then we have the flesh, which is very, very physical, right? This thing that seeks to control us and draw us into temptation. This thing that's set against us. This thing that even just by its very nature dies. These things are all very external, aren't they? But see, God, God's a little bit different than that. See, God, 
He demands we be a living sacrifice, but he demands it from inside. It's an internal thing. And some of you, you've made God inside of you very, very small. See, God's Holy Spirit is an internal agent that seeks to not just conform you to Christ, but to transform you from the inside out. This word transform in the Greek is the same word as transfigure. Pretty interesting, right? In Matthew 17, we see Jesus Christ transfigured on the mount, right? His body actually becomes different. It becomes so ruled by his divine nature that he, he begins to glow. He begins to shine the light of a divine nature right in front of his very disciples. So what was true of him internally, what the disciples knew of him, became actualized physically. The same thing is true of our lives. If the Holy Spirit rules us from the inside, if we yield our members to the Lord, the external will, ha will happen naturally. The presentation of our bodies to God will just be the natural outcome of yielding to the Spirit. But this begins with our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind controls your body. And your body controls your mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 demands that we have a particular type of mind, a mind like Christ. Are you guys with me? Yes. See, the Bible tells us that we can't have any old mind. Like a disciplined mind is not good enough. A knowledgeable mind is not good enough. It's not good enough. We need a particular type of mind. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, this is it. This is the command. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Jesus Christ is this. I will lower myself. I will humble myself. I will yield myself even to death. That's the mind of Christ. This is the mind that ought to be in us. This is the beginning of transformation. This is what we want to be accomplished in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit and God's word to change the way we think so we might be truly living sacrifices. Key point number four. A living sacrifice exchanges their mind for the mind of Christ. A living sacrifice exchanges their mind for the mind of Christ. And so the question becomes, how do we get this mind? Okay, so intellectually, we've, we've got it. Okay, we need the mind of Christ. We need to put our mind aside, our bodies aside. We need to put our will aside. Get it, got it, cool. But, but how is it that we do this? How do we get this mind? Now let's go back to the idea of a sacrifice. An Old Testament sacrifice was what? What was it? It required a literal death, didn't it? 
It required a true physical death. An unwilling beast, an unwilling animal, without blemish, pierced by a knife, then burnt on an altar before the Lord. Wasn't that what it was? That's what it was. Today, to be a living sacrifice, one must present their own body, a willing offering before the Lord. Why? Because it's reasonable. And they offer their body, and it requires two things. Okay? Listen to me. Just like in the Old Testament, it requires a piercing. To be a living sacrifice first requires a piercing. For the, for the Old Testament, when they, they, they sacrificed that animal, they would pierce it and they would let it bleed out before they offered it on the altar. And for the believer, the one who follows Christ, in order to be a living sacrifice, we must also be pierced. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and listener, and listen to this, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you want to be a living sacrifice, then you have to let the word of God pierce you and cut yourself away from fleshly thinking. The areas in your life that have conformed themselves to the world must be cut away. And for you to be a living sacrifice, you must first begin with the edge of the knife of God's word, a surgical and precise knife that's taken to your life and cuts your spirit away from your flesh. That's the first thing. The next thing is that we must be a sweet savor before the Lord. Just like the Old Testament sacrifice, that sacrifice was laid upon the altar and burnt before the living God. And our lives might, must be a sweet savor just like that sacrifice. And it only comes as the Spirit controls our lives in accordance to the Word. The, 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 the whole of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, listen, Bible studiers, the whole of Scripture draws parallel between the Spirit and fire. Right? You guys know that, right? The, the Bible, when it's talking many times about fire, it's talking about judgment, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And on the altar, when that offering was burnt before God, it was consumed, wasn't it? It was consumed. So it's not good enough that we just be pierced. But our lives must then lead to the controlling of the Holy Spirit that we might be consumed by the flame of God. That our lives might be worshipful before Him. That the way that we live might be a sweet savor before him as we yield ourselves to the Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. <clears throat> For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and, and to the other the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for, for these things. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, uh, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. See, what it looks like to be a sweet savor before God 
is to be yielded in such a way that the only words that you have to offer are the words of Christ himself. That's the manifestation of being a living sacrifice is that when you speak, Christ speaks in all sincerity, in complete submission, in complete yielding. The remainder of Romans is a book about, it's, it's about relationships. It's about, it's about how to coexist with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, a, it's about how to coexist with your boss at work. It's about how to live in such a way where your relationships are all founded on submission to Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you this. That before we can talk about those relationships and that practical living, it is absolutely 100% necessary that you understand that you do not belong to you. No relationship, no situation in this life can be right unless the believer first decides that they are going to live in such a way where their rights are completely relented. They're set aside. I have no rights in Christ. All my hopes, my desires, everything I've ever longed for, my job, my career, my friendships, my, my family, none of these things are dear to me in light of the cross of Jesus. My life does not belong to me. Everything that I have and every relationship that I have is laid before him in such a way that he can control them. That's what I long for. You know, the thing about renewing your mind is that from day to day, it can change. The thing about conforming to the world is that day to day, it can change. And today, you might be a living sacrifice. Tomorrow, you might be conformed to the world. But listen me. If you're in God's word you're, and, and you're practicing dying and you learn to give things up, some of you just haven't learned to give things up. You know, I just my eyes just glanced over Gabrielle. Gabrielle Renault. I can't be more proud of any person in this entire room as I am of Gabrielle. Some of you don't even know what she's given up in the last six months. You have no idea. See, to be a living sacrifice means to practice giving things up. Things that you might have worshipped. Things that you might have adored. It means giving up. And you know the thing about giving up is, you do it once, you do it twice, and pretty soon it gets much, much easier. It becomes a lifestyle. A living sacrifice must be a lifestyle. But it only happens as you practice the piercing and the yielding. You understand? Our lives must be patterned by this. This is what it requires, friends. For those of you who desire to be missionaries, pastors, leaders, lead Bible studies, disciple, you can't be selfish. 
have to belong to God. Is your life a sweet savor before the Lord? Is it? That's the question. If it's not, then you need to make a decision today. You need to lay some stuff down before the Lord. You need to begin practicing being a living sacrifice. I need Bible study leaders to raise their hand. You lead a Bible study. These are people that you need to talk to. If there's something that you need to lay down, then you need to go to one of these Bible study leaders. You need to pray with them. You guys with me? I love you guys. I love you. Let's not waste our lives. Holding on to silly things. We hold on to such silly things. We tuck them in our back pocket and we pretend that they're not there. We know that we're holding on to them. And so we play at, 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 at being Christians. And we, we want everyone to think. We want everyone to think that we're controlled by the Spirit. A lot of times, we're just Christians of convenience. Or Christians of false consecration. Let's pray. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I am convicted by your word this morning. I don't.